a sign of blessing. Old and full of days. You know, I think it's important, especially in America, especially now, where people, we have more than people have ever had, but yet people are more unhappy than they've ever been. That we need to say, God, however many days you give me, I want to die full of days. That the days that I live are not meaningless or pointless, but there's a purpose to them because, God, you are purposeful. Even though Esau wasn't the chosen one and didn't come across as an admirable guy in the Bible, God cared about him just as he cares about everyone who needs a savior. As Pastor Daniel teaches today, Esau was blessed as well. Us versus them is never a fruitful perspective. We'll be reminded today that we are all fragile humans, all in need of the grace of God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verse 11, with his continuing study entitled, Mapa. Is God the all-sufficient one in our lives? One of the things that I am constantly learning from the Lord is that God truly is sufficient. I just think sometimes that he's deficient for me. That I'm always trying to make something Be sufficient for me when really only God can be that. And that's really what idolatry is, isn't it? It's trying to find our sufficiency in something that can never really satisfy. But we try and try and try as much as we can. But God is the almighty one. He is the all-sufficient one. And God wants to prove himself that in our lives. And at some point we start saying, God, I'm not going to try and find sufficiency in my spouse or in the thoughts of a significant other or in a job that I'm trying to attain to or some status. But God, I will remember that you are the sufficient one, that only you satisfy, that only you will bring complete and total nourishment to my soul. But God says, hey, I am the all-sufficient one. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. So there's the reminder that God is giving a people who are going to be called by his name. He reminds them, be fruitful and multiply. And it's kind of funny because Jacob's already been doing that, hasn't he? He's got a lot of kids already. But he says, be fruitful and multiply. In verse 12, As we always see in these covenantal passages, God, the people, and the land. I am God Almighty. The people, be fruitful and multiply. And then verse 12, the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. You can look at the whole Bible in God, the people, and the land. And we've talked about this at our midweek. It's God, the people who he calls by his name, and the place of residence. It begins in Genesis. The book of Revelation ends with the same theme. God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and their dwelling place. Verse 13, God goes up from there, or or it could be translated departed from the place where he talked with him. And what does Jacob do? He sets up a pillar where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. So Jacob made an offering. Remember, praise. The root of praise is sacrifice. The giving up of something. 
That is the root. When we think of praise, right, we always think of, I'm just, I'm just enjoying God. But really the root of praise is I'm giving up myself so that I can enjoy God. Because I can't enjoy myself and enjoy God at the same time. So really we're giving up ourselves for total radical enjoyment of who God is. Now, verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor labor, that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So now we find the death of the matriarch, the death of of Rachel. She, remember, Rachel was Jacob's favorite. He thought he was marrying her. He ended up with Leah. Remember, she only had one son. She had Joseph. Now we find that as they're traveling from there, she's with child. She's having a hard labor. And her midwife tells her, don't fear, you're going to have a son also. But as she was giving birth, she died. And she wants to call the son the son of my sorrows, and Jacob wants to call him the son of my right hand. So we find the death of Rachel in childbirth. Now, notice where Rachel dies. Bethlehem, and we also have that name Ephrath. And if, if you know your Bible at all, Micah 5.2 says this, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler over Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Another example of God bringing beauty out of ashes, bringing joy out of sorrow. See, God is a redeeming God. You can imagine that for the children of Israel, when they thought of Bethlehem, before the birth of the Son of God, the Messiah, they thought, oh man, that was where Rachel died. That was where Jacob's heart broke. Yes, he had a son, but he lost the love of his life. But God is a redeeming God. God loves to revisit places of tragedy and infuse it with new meaning by his spirit. But oftentimes, people are not willing for God to be a redeemer of broken things. Are we willing for that? Are we willing for God to bring us back to a place of brokenness and pain and bring glory from it? I mean, if we were to trust in God with our greatest pains and say, God, I want, can you resurrect this? Can you take this place of pain, this situation of pain and birth something glorious from it? 
what God could do. But for many of us, we just want to hold that wound tight, right? It's like we just, we lock the door, we put a padlock on it, we know it's there, we don't want to revisit it at all because there's too much pain there. But God wants to restore, he wants to redeem. And it's interesting, out of all the places that Jesus could have been born, it had to be in Bethlehem. It had to be there. The place of Jacob's sadness. Now, now, God redeems it to have Jesus being born there. Now, in verse 21, then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Notice who journeyed? Israel did. Don't call him Jacob, he's Israel. How often has God given us a new life in Christ, but we still want to be the old person, the old name? Now he's called Israel like this. Now verse 22 is kind of a tragic verse. It says, And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Wow. That's just like a throwaway verse, you know? It's like, what? Now think about this. Reuben lay with Bilhah. So remember, Bilhah was Jacob's wife. She's called his concubine because really Leah and Rachel were his official wives, but uh, Bilhah and Zilpah became his concubines, his uh, legal wives, but not of the same stature. And now one of his sons goes and lays with his father's concubine, his father's wife. And if you recall, when the rebellion of Absalom happened to David, that Ahithophel, who gave wise counsel, but it wasn't acted upon, Ahithophel said, listen, you should go and lay with your father's concubine. It was a sign that the oldest son, who Reuben was, was usurping the power of his father, that I am the one in control. I am so much in control that I will sleep with my father's wife. It was the ultimate, it was the ultimate subversion. And Reuben does that. But it's interesting that when we get to Genesis 49, when there is, when Jacob prophesies over his sons, it says, unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So Reuben, through his actions with Bilhah, and I made this point last week, the fourth son in Jacob's lineage is Judah. We know that Jesus is going to come from the line of Judah. So we have Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, because of their actions over these two chapters, lose the place of primacy. Even though Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, God still places his hand of blessing on Judah. When you get to Genesis 49, you'll actually read that, that Judah gets a place of blessing. And I made the point, I'll make it again right now, that sin does have consequences. Yes, we're forgiven. And we thank God for that. But sin has consequences. When God forgives us, he doesn't wipe away every shred of what happens in the natural because of the decisions that we make. And that's why we don't want to take these things lightly. Because things happen. Sin has consequences. Now, in the middle of verse 22, now the sons of Jacob were 12, the sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. 
The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. So this is simply just a recap. These are the 12 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 27, closing out Isaac now. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. At the close of this section, now we see the end of Isaac's life. Notice there's three different names for where Isaac was dwelling. And that's important to realize, because remember, I made the point that there's a very, very good chance that the first five books of the Torah were compiled around the time of the exile to Babylon. There's a lot of scholars who would place it there. And so oftentimes they have names that are historical names, but hey, this is this place in the day that it was compiled. So you have to realize that this wasn't, these things were not written right as they were happening. It wasn't like there was like a, a scribe there taking all this down. This was written later. And so place names change. I mean, here we have the names Mamre, Kirjith Arba, that is Hebron. So it, when the time it was written, it was in Hebron of that time. But they have all these different names. Notice, the days of Isaac's life were 180 years. That's a good long life, isn't it? 180 years. Notice, he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. That's a sign of blessing. Old and full of days. You know, I think it's important, especially in America, especially now, where people, we have more than people have ever had, but yet people are more unhappy than they've ever been. That we need to say, God, however many days you give me, I want to die full of days. That the days that I live are not meaningless or pointless, but there's a purpose to them because, God, you are purposeful. So if God gives us five years, 25 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80, 90, 180 years, that we get to the end of our days and we say, I've lived a full life in the Lord. That old proverb, when soon this life has passed, what? Only what you've done for Christ will last. So whatever it is that we do, we want to live a full life. As I always say, I want to get to the end of my days and say, man, that was a God thing. God was up to something in my life. And no matter what happens, no matter how high or how low, how good or how bad it gets, to get to that place where we say, man, God was up to something in my life. That we die full of days. That like the Apostle Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, as we saw on Sunday in Philippians chapter 1. Would to God that we would die full, having lived a good life for God's glory. Notice, his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The brothers came back together again. They hadn't seen each other since they were in, since Jacob was coming back from Padanaram. And now we see them again 
together. Now, as we move into chapter 36, this is, notice, now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. And this entire chapter gives the genealogy or the offspring of Jacob's brother, his twin brother Esau. And it's interesting because why is this here? I mean, it's like a whole chapter, and I'm not going to read the list of names for you guys. Um, I could, you know, but it's fun because you can syllabify these names the way you want to, too. So, and, and if you're looking for good Bible names, I mean, there's some really good names in here. Just, I just want, you know, my favorite, of course, is in verse 2, Aholabama. Great name for a little girl. Or, you know, in, in chapter, in verse 3, base math. Can you imagine if someone named their daughter base math? Now, I'm sure it's more like math. you know what I mean? It, it got a little more rhythm to it. But you, you just call them base math. It's, it's kind of a good name. But the reality is, is why is this here? Simply because of this. The faith community always exists in the context of the human community. That's how Walter Brueggemann explains this. He says that the community of faith always exists within the greater context of humanity. As Christians, we are a family of faith that exists within a context of all of humanity. And the Lord does not want to divorce us from our context. He wants us to be mobilized within our context. So it's important to the Lord that we realize that God did bless Jacob's twin brother Esau as he said he would. Because of Jacob. I mean, we have these lists here. You have the sons, the chiefs, the kings of Edom. So God cares about Esau, even though Esau was not his chosen one. We call this common grace, that the sun rises and the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. The blessings of God for the covenant community always exist within the human community, within the greater context of humanity. And we have to always remember that God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, and that draws us out of the community. One of the biggest issues we have, everybody wants to blame the other guy. It's always us versus them. And as a Christian, we look at humanity, we just say us. We're all together. We're all human. We all suffer from the human condition. We all need a savior. All of us do. And so we should never as Christians say us versus them. Everybody wants to polarize us. And politics is a beautiful thing for that. Otherwise, very intelligent people become absolutely irrational when it comes to politics. It's an amazing thing. Brilliant people become futile in their thoughts over politics. See, what neither one of the conventions are giving us is that, listen, we're Americans and we're all in this together. And the only way out of this is to work together. Because there's never going to be an all-democratic or all-republican Congress. So it's not us versus them. It's just us as Americans trying to figure out how to be good human beings. And as Christians, bridging it from the lesser politics to the greater, the standing of the church in the world, we are all human. And we all understand what it means to be frail humanity. And the only difference between Christians and non-Christians is that the grace of God has been applied to our lives through faith. And we're all, we're all the same. I said it on Sunday. 
People gasp. I said, listen, God loves Muslims too. He doesn't agree with their religion. He wants to see them saved and Jesus died to forgive sinners. The nicest person you've ever met and one of the 9-11 terrorists, both are sinners in need of the grace of God. And if they were to believe, God were to grant it in his son. So all of humanity, we're all the same. And the only difference between the covenant community and the non-covenant community is the application of the grace of God. And the call of the gospel goes out to everybody. So we as Christians need to stop saying, oh, those people. It's just us. And when we approach people, it's not, oh, you non-Christians. It's like, listen, I know exactly what it's like to be you. And I am just like you in every way, except I have received the grace of God. And I didn't receive the grace of God because I'm so smart, so cute, so successful, but simply because God gave me a gift of faith to say thank you. And God wants the same for you because we're all the same. Because the gospel levels the playing field, doesn't it? For all of us. We don't look down our noses on anybody. I mean, think about what we believe. We believe that the only reason we're acceptable to God is because God sent his son to die in our place. How can we be pompous with that? How can we exalt and be prideful and look down on people when the only reason we have what we have is because God is so radically awesome that he can overcome all of our resistance? So this is in here. All this huge list of names. This huge list of names is there to remind us that God loves all humanity and common grace exists for all people. And the only difference is, is for Jacob... He really received believing in Yahweh, and Esau does not seem to have. Now, don't miss this. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. All through your Bibles, you're going to read about the Edomites. Actually, the entire book of Obadiah is actually about the Edomites, the smallest Old Testament prophet. It's all about the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, we're going to find them in Numbers 20. They wouldn't let the Jewish people pass through their land. We find them in 1 Samuel 14. Saul's going to fight with them. In 2 Chronicles 25, we find King Amaziah worshiping their gods. And the book of Obadiah talks about why God wanted to bring judgment upon the Edomites. So every time you see the word Edom, the Edomites, all that, you have to remember that these are the descendants of Esau. These are the descendants of Jacob's twin brother. So have fun reading this chapter in your own time. God will bless you if you read it. Some of you are like, Pastor Daniel, you should read this. But I'm just going to butcher the names just like you will. So feel free to read this in your own times. But that's why this is there. That's why it's there. To remind us that the community of faith always exists within a greater context of the human community. Jesus is real. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It could have been only a reminder of tragedy as it was the place that Rachel died. But as we heard from Pastor Daniel, God can resurrect a place of pain and birth something glorious. But first, we have to let that pain go. We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. 
Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. God does amazing things when we simply listen to His Word. He transforms and shapes us into His image as we are exposed to the Bible. Maybe after listening today, someone specific is on your heart. You know that this message is something they need to hear. Please log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can share this message to your Facebook timeline, tweet a link, or even embed the audio wherever you'd like. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and share this message with your family, friends, and neighbors. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel comes to the story of Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. Not popular with his brothers, Joseph's dreams will only complicate matters even more. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.